What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. I'm Austin Terry, and I, too, like to use the Iron Man suit as a party trick. I'm Keith Baker, and I want my bird. And I'm Matt Johnson, and you want my property? You can't have it! On today's show, we'll be continuing our bi-weekly retrospective and review series on the MCU Phase 1 with Iron Man 2. But first, Matt, our newest ongoing TV deep dive series has been covering The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. How's that been going so far? Falcon and Winter Soldier, we're two episodes in. We're loving it so far. I think I can speak for all three of us that not only is it giving us the action we want, the character moments, but it's giving us way more than we ever thought when it comes to villains, motivations, and just the side characters in general. So I got to say, if you're somebody that's like, should I watch this? I definitely would say so. And check out our thoughts on it. And Keith, of course, can you let our audience know when those episodes release? They release every Sunday. That's right. That's right. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier drops on Friday. So be sure to check out our recaps on Sundays. And with that, my friends, we've talked about the rise of Skywalker, Spectre, Man of Steel, the Incredible Hulk, and plenty of other divisive projects on this podcast. And it's time to add another one to the mix. Iron Man 2 came out in 2010 to decent reviews, but in the years following its release, the movie has been called one of the worst of the MCU. So my friends, while the first Iron Man was universally praised despite that third act, the conversation today may be a bit more interesting. Are all of these people calling this movie bad, right, or wrong, or somewhere in between? Let's figure it out. Matthew and Keith, give me your history with this film and your initial thoughts on Iron Man 2. Okay, I guess my history with this film is I saw it once right when it came out in theaters and then i maybe have seen it two or three times since then just over the years and i have honestly always liked iron man 2 and watching it this week to prepare for this podcast i think it's probably been the longest i had not seen it and i i still enjoyed it i like the the villains in it i like all the characters in it i like the progression into the mcu that's where i'm at on it i'm pretty close to you i think uh, when it comes to when I first saw it, I'm pretty much the same. I saw it once in theaters and like an IMAX screening and I thought it was really fun. I had a great time with it. it at that at that time, we got to keep in mind, like MCU movies weren't coming out as often. So this came out over two years after the first Iron Man movie. So it was a big deal. It was exciting and had a blast during it. Even when that post credit scene came on and we saw that hammer, I was like, wow, the hammer, right? Everybody agreed? And everybody around me was like, I don't fucking care. And I was like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a different time in the MCU. And I I liked it a lot of the time. Since then, I've probably kind of liked Keith. I've seen it a couple of times. It's been a long time whenever we watch it for this week. I haven't seen it in a long time. And it's a weird one because it has this weird reputation where it's like, this movie just sets up stuff for the future. It's not its own movie. Is it really that good on its own? And I definitely see a lot of that. But at the same time, I kind of can't help enjoying this movie. I think there's a lot to like about it. It's just a fun time. Whenever like, the credits start rolling, is there depth to it? Do you feel anything for like all of the characters? I don't think so. So is it as good as the first? No, probably not. But it's definitely a fun time for sure. Yeah, for me, I had I had really only seen this movie once, I think, in theaters, and I don't think I ever came back to it. Not because I didn't like it, just there was just so much other content out there, I never circled back to it. So it was really interesting for me to kind of go back to this one, because I really only remembered that racetrack scene with Mickey Rourke. And for me, 
I think they improve upon a lot of the stuff they were introducing in Iron Man. I don't think this is a better movie than the first one, but I do think they do kind of do a great job of establishing a strong villain in this movie. So that was kind of the highlight for me. Um, as for the other stuff, I do kind of get the criticism that it's just a setup movie, but I had a lot of fun with the characters they introduced. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I think the villains in this one are fun. <laughs> I don't know if they're good. I want them to be good. Every time I watch it, I'm like, ah, these are going to be good villains. We got Sam Rockwell and Mickey Rourke. Where can we go wrong? <laughs> and then they do. So I don't know. I guess I'm not as big of a fan, but I'm glad you are. I certainly don't think they're incredible villains. I just think compared to what we've gotten, if we're just looking at this in the context sure. of MCU phase sure. one, I think yeah. they're some of the best we've gotten so far. And they're just fun. They're not, yeah, they're not the best they villain as, as if like they're the most evil out of all the villains we get to see, but they are really fun though. Whenever Sam Rockwell like grounds him at the end, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. Oh gosh. Yeah, there's some good moments between them for sure. And this was kind of the first time as well. I mean, in Incredible Hulk, we got Ross and Abomination, but in a weird way, I don't know what they did differently here, but this felt more like what we see in the future of the MCU where it's they cast two villains. I don't know how to describe that, but it's like Ross and Abomination, it felt more natural in that, whereas this one, it felt like we have two villains. One's the brains, one's the brawn, and it feels a bit more like purposeful in this one, so it kind of starts a trend going forward in the MCU. All right, well, we're going to have plenty of villain talk when we come back after our segue music, because when we come back, it will be time for the movie facts of Iron Man 2. All right, let's go ahead and get into our movie facts now. Keith, take it away with our cast and crew. This one is directed by my man, John Favreau. Yeah, boy! You know him from the first Iron Man, Swingers, Chef, and I'll throw it back to our Christmas movie, Elf. Oh, hell yeah. Screenplay by Justin Thoreau. He wrote Tropic Thunder. Uh, he was in Zoolander, American Psycho, and The Leftovers. But yeah, Keith, this guy's like primarily an actor. And then randomly wrote a movie that famously nobody even really paid attention to the script of. <laughs> like, they all just improvised. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, I mainly know him from writing Tropic Thunder. And of course, he worked on that with Robert Downey Jr., who then mm -hmm. handpicked him to come into this movie and write Iron Man 2. Right. Uh, we got movie score composed by John Lebney. And of course, based on the characters, created by Stan Lee, Larry Leiber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. And going to our cast, we got Mr. Robert Downey Jr. returning as Tony Stark, the Iron Man, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Don Cheadle replacing Terrence Howard as Rhodey, War Machine, Scarlett Johansson comes in as Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer, and the late Gary Shanling as Senator Stern. And then we also got John Slattery as Howard Stark, Paul Bettany as Jarvis, and Mickey Rourke as Ivan Vanko, a.k.a. Whiplash, and then Mr. Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. All right, guys, so what are your highlights for this cast? I kind of set it up in our little intro there, but uh, I, my highlight's Mickey Rourke. I actually do really enjoy him as the villain. I think he gives a fun performance. Um, there's some things with the character we're going to have to talk about here in a bit, uh, but overall, in terms of what we've gotten so far in this little look back, I think he's one of our strongest villains. 
Fair point. Uh, what about you, Keith? What are your highlights? I like Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer. I thought he was super funny in mm-hmm. this. And like we said, he wasn't like the most evil villain, but um, I think he actually was trying to just like progress his company. I like all the scenes he has with Tony. I think those are his best scenes when they're when him and RDJ Tony? are kind of playing off of each other. I do like those scenes quite a bit. You can tell that RDJ and Sam Rockwell are both just very good, talented, and also natural improvisers. I mean, when they're in a scene together, it's just you don't have to worry about anything. They're just funny, natural, they move the plot along, and it's great. I also just love the little detail of, like, Justin Hammer always calls Tony Anthony. <laughs> I just think it's so funny and perfect. Um, I gotta say, I'm looking at this cast right now. Everybody here is pretty good. There are some exceptions. I'm not gonna talk about RDJ, because I know we will later. He's great, of course, as Tony Stark. I think Gwyneth Paltrow. For Potts, she's still great. Is she given anything better to do? I would debate that. I don't know if she is. Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, such a great character. Also, I think kind of botched in this movie. Such a weird role to give this character, like for the introduction. Sam Jackson is Nick Fury. He got in the post credit last time. This time he has a bit of a bigger role. And he, talk about somebody that nailed it from the get-go. I mean, Sam Jackson is the fucking best. And as Nick Fury, there's never been a down note. And I guess the last thing I'll say, and it might be ending on a bit of a down note, I'm curious because we're going to have to talk about it going forward. I like Don Cheadle. You guys know that. I'm a big fan. In this movie with the structure, I think the way he plays Rhodey in the first half is kind of bad. It's not until the second half where it's like, okay, I can kind of see that friendship coming back between the characters and all that. So that's where I like him. That's really like all I can say about this cast and crew. What about you, Austin? Because I know when it comes to Black Widow, there might be something to talk about here. You did mention Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark. And with that that mention, it is time <laughs> to bring back a segment that we introduced with our James Bond series. Wow. We need to get into some creepy PP because <sighs> when he first meets Natasha Romanoff, Scarlett Johansson, I believe his opening line is, I want one. And it only gets worse from there because he Googles her names, ogles over some modeling photos, and then makes her get into a boxing ring with his sweaty driver, Happy Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) Sweaty driver. Austin, that's a good point, though. Honestly, that you mentioned the sweaty driver. I don't blame RDJ here. Genuinely, the person that I'm like... What were they thinking is John Favreau as the director. What was he thinking here? It's like, I'm going to introduce Black Widow and she's going to be just like a, uh, I don't know. She's going to be a really sexy character that everybody like wants to have sex with when they look at her and she's Black Widow. So she's really cool. But she's not going to do any of that until the last 10 minutes of the movie. She's just going to be a secretary. And then even I'm going to have this really great scene where she and Nick Fury come together and they're working together. Like, whoa, really cool, right? But then after that scene, she's still a secretary for Pepper Potts. So it's like, what was he thinking? This character sucks until the very end. And it's like, oh, there might be some creepy pee involved here. I agree with you. And and they wrote they purposely wrote Tony so creepily that Gwyneth Paltrow has a line where she says, "Oh, you're a sexual harassment suit waiting to happen." <laughs> <laughs> At least they pointed out. I guess so. they're really they're really having the conversation. So, some of the biggest pieces of drama, of course, for this movie does center around the contract negotiations. 
The big one, of course, being Terrence Howard, who was replaced by Don Cheadle. Howard has gone on to claim that he never was given any reason for his firing by the MCU, and he gave a quote saying, There was no explanation. Apparently the contracts we write and sign aren't worth the paper that they're printed on sometimes. Promises aren't kept, and good faith negotiations aren't always held up. I think we may have mentioned it briefly in our Iron Man 1 episode, but Jon Favreau and Terrence Howard uh, reportedly had a very tense relationship while filming the first movie. Favreau felt he had to constantly reshoot Howard's scenes, and because of this he was planning to diminish his role significantly in Iron Man 2, so this caused Marvel to ask Howard to take a pay cut. Yeah, and I, I hate that because even if what you're saying is true, Austin, that like Favreau was like, you're not good enough or whatever it is, like... They're basically saying, hey, we still want you to play this part, but because you're not very good, we're going to make you take a pay cut. And it's like, what are you talking about? I mean, this guy got an Oscar nomination the year before Iron Man, so he's a great actor. I'm not saying what they're saying isn't true, but it's like, if that is the case, find another way to handle this. It's like, you want him to stay on board, but you're going to take Robert Downey Jr.'s money that he would have gotten if he was famous in the first one, and then just not give the same amount to Terrence Howard that he got paid in the first movie. You're going to give him less money to play the same role? Like, it's just bullshit. I mean, look, I don't know the behind the scenes, like you said. I don't know if he, like, did a bad job and needed to do reshoots or whatever it is, but either way, it sounds like this is on Marvel for, like, the way they handled this. Yeah, I, I am in agreement. That's, that, would, that just sucks. <laughs> just plain and simple. It's also important to remember, too, at this time in MCU, Marvel was kind of famously stingy with underpaying actors. Like, they were very yeah. budget-focused and always trying to get people to take pay cuts. It has also been extremely unclear whether Howard chose to walk away first or if Marvel outright fired him. Either way, though, he was recast and Don Cheadle was brought in. And uh, speaking about money... He in, in November of 2013, he stated that going into the film, the studio undercut his existing contract and without mentioning him by name, said Downey took the money that was supposed to go to me and pushed me out. So he does also kind of blame Robert Downey Jr. for the way things turned out, too. And I've heard they've made up since then. I've heard that Terrence Howard and RDJ are cool now, but it sounds like Terrence Howard and like the behind the scenes crew of the MCU fairly are kind of a not on great terms even now, which... I get. It's unfortunate. And part of that, Austin, I know you didn't love Terrence Howard, and this might be the natural place to bring it up. We kind of talked about, should he have been recast? I don't know. Because I hear all the stuff you're saying, it kind of makes me sad because, like I said, I like Don Cheadle, and I like him at the end of this movie. Certainly not at the beginning. I mean, do you think that if Terrence Howard had been on board for this movie, it would have been a bit more natural as opposed to this weird like, okay, we have to explain why this actor looks different, make him really serious, and then wait to the end for him to be fun. Do you think it could have been more natural if Terrence Howard sat on board or no? With Terrence Howard, I can still never picture him physically in in the War Machine suit. So that's, right. that's my biggest issue with Terrence Howard. Maybe it's just because I've seen Don Cheadle play this character for 10 years now, but mm-hmm. I even like even watching that performance and that character in Iron Man 1... I can never picture him actually getting into the actual suit. I kind of can picture Terrence Howard in the suit, just the way his personality was. He seemed more, he seemed more military-like than Don Cheadle does, if that makes sense. I completely agree with that, Keith. I feel like I will, I will give Don Cheadle a bit of credit that I think the story doesn't do him service because it's this weird thing where at the beginning I kind of like how he shows up in the in the courtroom and it's like, oh, he's backing up his friend. That's cool. But then later in the movie they get in a fight, which makes sense. But then Don Cheadle's reaction is, not only am I going to give over the suit, I'm going to work with Justin Hammer? 
who I actively worked against in the opening. Like, no, under that makes orders, no though. sense. He was under orders. <sighs> I know, and but he's he still did a protest. bitch for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> chain so, of command. It's the chain I of command. I get it. It makes sense. It's but... like when I tell you guys we're doing Godzilla versus Kong next week, you don't have any say in the matter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I gotta watch Kong Skull Island. Uh, no, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, uh, to Keith's point, though, ultimately, I want Austin to move on, but I just think for the final point there, I... I can I can see Terrence Howard in the suit, and I just miss the friendship. They don't feel like friends until the end of this movie for me. Whereas, like in the first half, it just feels like they kind of know each other. Like whenever they like welcome James Rhodey Rhodes to the courtroom, and Tony's like, "Rhodey, what are you doing here? Good to see you, pal." And it's like. They don't seem like friends at all. It's it's really awkward. And part of it's because it is a new actor. So you have to yeah. introduce that to the audience. I think part of that's the context, though, too. Sure. I think Tony's just surprised to hear Rhodey called to testify against him. I agree. I just feel I wish we would have gotten more throughout the movie. And I think my general issue is through the Iron Man trilogy, we get barely any roadie so that won't change in the next movie it's just they don't really use this character in any interesting ways so i guess i'll say that too it's not like they made a huge mistake in this movie because he wasn't used well in the first one either so it's kind of just unfortunate okay well we got to move on so uh other contract issues do also include samuel jackson uh marvel had originally approached jackson with an unprecedented for the time nine movie detail only based on that cameo in iron man one um, and Jackson was very hesitant to sign on, and negotiations did break down. He even gave a public comment saying, I don't know, maybe I'm not playing Nick Fury. Um, of course, he eventually agreed to the deal, and Marvel is now famous for their six to eight movie picture deals that they give their actors today. Very cool. Very cool. It's also kind of perfect. I'm so glad Sam Jackson was able to play this character, for because for those that don't know, Nick Fury in the comics for the longest time was just a white guy that was based on David Hasselhoff look-wise. Um, but then when uh, like Brian Michael Bendis and other artists and creators and writers came about with the ultimate versions of the comics, they approached Sam Jackson and were like, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to do like new version of Nick Fury. I'd like him to look like you. Can we use your likeness? And he was like, oh, that's yeah, awesome. cool. So- before Sam Jackson ever played this character in the movies, Nick Fury in the comics looked like Sam Jackson. So it's this really fun thing where they actually got him for the movies, too, after the fact. So it's just this really fun like kind of connection with the comics. Yeah, that's great. That's so cool. I'm glad they made that change, too, because Sam Jackson, his likeness is just perfect, perfect. for Nick Fury. And then <laughs> yeah, also perfect. getting him in the role is just incredible. He's in three scenes in this movie, and he fucking crushes it every yeah. single time. <laughs> I love all the scenes in this movie, yep. Okay, so speaking of Mickey Rourke, he is um, reportedly extremely unhappy with the finished project of Iron Man 2. He originally was hesitant to sign on in the first place because of, once again, a pay dispute. Um, of course, he eventually did, but he would later come to regret that decision. He says that he explained to John Favreau and Justin Thoreau that he wanted to bring layers and complexity to the character, saying that he didn't want to just play an angry, murderous Russian. Um, he says they agreed, but then Marvel cut all that out of the film. I have a quote from him saying, Unfortunately, the people at Marvel just wanted a one-dimensional bad guy, so most of the performance ended up on the floor. He even later went on to take a shot at John Favreau, saying, 
You have to fight for that, though, to bring layers to the character. Otherwise, if you're working for the wrong studio, or let's say a director that doesn't have any balls, they're just <laughs> going to want it to be an evil bad guy. So if you're working with some good studio guys that got some brains, and you're working with a director with a set of nuts that'll let you incorporate that, then it's fun. Otherwise, you end up with Iron Man 2. Okay. <laughs> wow! Jeez! Said, uh, John Favreau has some awkward hallway moments if he ever runs into Mickey Rourke. <laughs> I mean, Mickey Rourke doesn't work at all anymore, so he's not going to run into John Favreau in any hallways. That's <laughs> true. You know what? We need the Rourke cut. Give us the Rourke cut of Iron Man 2. Give us the Rourke cut. Give us the Rourke cut with skinny Ben Affleck as well. And Jared, and Jared Leto. <laughs> Jared Leto as Tony Stark. <laughs> so Emily Blunt was originally the first choice for Black Widow, but she dropped out to film Gulliver's Travels instead. Oh, that she regrets that decision. <laughs> Hey, Jack Black. <laughs> Emily Blunt would have been phenomenal in this role, I feel like. But I, I really wish that she would have left for Edge of Tomorrow, Devil Wears Prada, Quiet Place, just literally anything besides Jack Black's Gulliver's Travels. Oh, no. That's a shame. Okay, so that is the bulk of our production nightmares today. We got a lot of drama going on there. Matt, was there any drama at the box office? Uh, that's a good way to put it. I guess when it comes to the money they made, probably not, because Iron Man 2 earned $623.9 million against a budget of an estimated between $170 and $200 million. So however you break it down, it was a huge success and ended up earning $38 million more than the original film. This movie was nominated, actually, for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, and the film itself has a 72% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with a critical consensus reading. It isn't quite the breath of fresh air that Iron Man was, but the sequel comes close with solid performances and action-packed plot. Audiences seem to be more positive at the time from what I could find. In general, though, critics agreed that it wasn't as good as the first, but still fun for what it is. The pros were it has really quality action sequences. Robert Downey Jr. still leads with a really engaging and fun performance. The fact that Tony isn't a fully changed man and is still dealing with demons was appreciated. And the rest of the actors turned in great performances. But the cons kind of also tie in because despite the performances of the cast, the critics did criticize some of the use of the side characters in the plot itself. The villains were not considered a substantial improvement over the original. The writing and plot I found was called confusing at times and especially when it didn't need to be and the most the thing that made me laugh the hardest was some of the storylines chosen were simply called quote misguided end quote which I was like yeah. Did we need Tony Stark inventing an element that led nowhere? Probably not but we'll get into it. <laughs> wow, okay. So, first of all, I'm shocked it was nominated for special effects. 2010 must have been a pretty shitty year for special effects. <laughs> I think Iron Man 1 actually looks way better than this movie did on a rewatch. Um, as for that, though, I actually... I think I disagree with all of the negative you, you listed out there. I do agree with the positives. I think the side characters are given... Maybe they're not given, like, amazing, substantial roles, but I think they're at least given more elevated roles than they were in the first movie. And I think they all actually have key moments of the plot. Um, and like I said, I am pretty high on the villain. So a lot of a lot of that stuff I kind of disagree with. The writing I can agree with. I think the writing for Tony is, is a bit weird, I guess you would say. Um, and I, I think the writing for Gwyneth Paltrow's character is also pretty bad, too. 
Yeah, I think I'll second everything you just said, Austin. Uh, especially when it comes to like the Tony and Gwyneth Paltrow stuff. There was some kind of awkward writing in there for them. Uh, but I agree with all the pros, and I agree with you what you said about the cons. I did like all the side characters in this movie. Ultimately, for me, just real quick before we move on, I think I agree with the positives and the negatives. When it comes to how the side characters are used, uh, I think it's pretty bad, but I think all the performances are really good. I wish the characters were used better because with how these actors perform them, it leaves me really liking them. And it's like, I want more from these besides just RDJ. And I know he's the lead, but it's like, I want more to this. I think the villains don't really ultimately work for me. Again, it's an example of the performances are fantastic. Same thing with Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane. Here, I think the performances are also great. It's just what they're trying to accomplish. I'm not really sure. Particularly with Mickey Rourke, it's like... His dad got screwed over by Tony's dad, so he has to kill everybody. Well, that's where it gets confusing, too, because he sets up that his dad got screwed over by Tony's dad. But then later on, they're like, oh, no, he actually was a criminal and Tony's dad did the (laughs) right thing. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, Nick Fury has to tell him that so that we can still love Tony, apparently, and his dad, which is like, we don't even know his dad yet. So why are they telling us this? So, yeah, it's a weird element for sure. But... Overall, it's it's fun. That's what I can say about it. I guess you could say I think the biggest criticism that we all agree with then is that the writing and the plot elements are, are a bit misguided. I think we sure. all do kind yes. of agree with that. That's the biggest negative I agree with for sure. Yeah. Okay, Matt. So, of course, we got to do a plot summary. I think that means it's time to play. Can we break it down? Oh, hell yeah. My favorite segment of the show All right, everybody. To start us off today, we can't properly talk about a sequel without... A recap. So, Keith, since Iron Man 1 is such a favorite of yours, I'm going to give you 15 seconds to remind everybody what happened in that movie. Ready, set, go! All right, Tony Stark, billionaire arms uh, producer. He gets stuck in a cave. He makes the first Iron Man suit. He refines it over the course of the movie. Then he defeats his counterpart, Obadiah Stane, and then he goes on to say, um, sorry, Terrence Howard, you're gone. <laughs> Time. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he goes on to say, I am Iron Man to the world. But instead he goes, Terrence Howard, sorry, Tony, <laughs> you're out. <laughs> Don Cheadle, I love him, but he doesn't say Tony quite the same way. All right, Keith, that was great work. I appreciate it. I feel like I just closed my eyes and was able to rewatch the movie in my head based on your description. I don't know if I can rewatch the movie in my head, but I can now clearly visualize Robert Downey Jr. firing Terrence Howard. <laughs> Yeah, he was cast to fire Terrence Howard. Yeah, dude, here's the deal. Don Cheadle's free, and he's willing to do it for $3 (laughs) and a Burger King every other day. So, you're out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, okay. All right, though, guys. Now it's time for the new stuff. We have to tell everybody about the villain's origin that we get over the opening credits of this movie. So, Austin, my friend... You have seven seconds to tell the world why Ivan Vonko is a grumpy Gus. Ready? Go. Mickey works Papa dies and he growls like a tiger. He then begins work on his own arc reactor. Ah! <laughs> yeah, I just like, the second he realizes, he's like, he checks. Okay, is my dad dead? Okay, he is. Now I'm going to scream. All right, Keith, I'm going to charge you with something pretty big here. I want to know what's going on with our pal Tony Stark. Why is he seemingly sick? Why is the government mad at him? And what happens in Monaco? So, 20 seconds, Kvac. Tell me. Ready? Go. 
The government is mad at him because he won't give up the Iron Man suit. He's sick. He has some veins going through his neck. He's in Monaco, and he owns a race car. He races, and he gets into a fight with Mickey Rourke. Austin, I'm going to charge you with something relatively similar, except you have the second deck to cover. Tell me about Ivan Vanko and Justin Hammer linking up, Tony Stark's birthday party, Nick Fury's intro, and this weird storyline where Tony Stark basically invents a new element. I'm still going to give you 20 seconds, though. Ready, set, go! All right, Vanko escapes from prison, and somehow nobody thinks to take a look at the body that looks nothing like him. <laughs> Tony then gets drunk at his birthday party, fearing his own death. He breaks out the Iron Man suit, gets into a fight with Don Cheadle, and then Don Cheadle turns over the suit to the Air Force. Nick Fury gets some hangover donuts with Tony Stark and tells him he knows how to save him, but then also makes him go on a, a puzzle quest to figure it out, causing Tony to look into his dad and develop a new element. Right at 20 seconds, you said that finished sentence. Perfect, Austin. Perfect as always. And I guess I'll take the final act here. So Stark and Rhodey team up to beat Vanko, who made a suit for no reason at all. It's a very short fight that's weirdly followed by a really long chasing in the air. Sam Rockwell gets arrested. Black Widow kicks a lot of guards in the face. Tony Stark and Pepper get their kiss on, and it's super cute. Nick Fury says Tony's a pee-pee boy and can help him out with the Avengers. Gary Shandling makes a funny joke, and Coulson finds a cool hammer in the desert. There you go. Boom bang boom let's get to our roundtable discussion all right everybody let's do it roundtable discussion time we all brought some points that we want to break down for iron man 2 who wants to kick us off today i'm going to keep it simple with this first point it's the big one. It's the one that everybody wants to know right off the bat. So let's freaking get to it. Is this movie better or worse or equal to the first Iron Man? And tell me why. I want to know what works better in this one and what works not as well. I do think it's worse, but I don't think it's worse by much. I think it still has the same side character issues. I think it still has a great performance from Tony Stark. I think all the Iron Man stuff is still really great. Um, I just think what works better for me in this movie is the villain in this one as compared to what we got from Iron Man 1. As far as things that are better in this one, I don't know. I mean, I think visually, Austin, you said it earlier. I don't know if I agree with you as far as like Iron Man 1 was better visually. I think they're about the same. I really enjoyed the scene in uh, Monaco whenever he has the briefcase uh, suit. And then as far as the storyline goes, I, I don't know. Someone's, it does feel different than Iron Man 1. It just it it's, it just feels more MCU ish, I guess, and that goes into our point from Iron Man one saying that it could be its own movie. This one I think does very much feel like a more of an MCU movie. I think this one though does kind of feel like a more lived in world though, like a, a more like a more lived in Iron Man world, like with the government getting involved, wanting the suit. Like I think all that all feels very real and very natural. Like next step after them figuring out who built this tech, and then I also do really enjoy the scene of Tony showing the government all these different satellite images of people trying to build the suit and nobody being able to accomplish that. Like, I think that makes total sense that this development of the Iron Man suit would then kind of start an arms race between all of the different governments of the world. I agree with you. I think Iron Man 1 was great. Um, there's goofy things about it for sure, but ultimately I don't think it's bad until the third act, like we talked about whenever we talked about Iron Man 1. This one... I think is pretty damn great as well until that halfway point. Once we got through the Tony Stark birthday party 
And then things transition to he's hungover getting donuts and then Nick Fury randomly shows up. It starts to feel more about setting up the Avengers and it also just plain out feels like like Iron Man 3. It doesn't feel like an Iron Man 2 anymore. It feels like a different movie. So that's where the movie starts to lose me is that second half. And in that second half, we also get like the culmination of the villains, which doesn't ultimately feel too satisfying and a bit confusing as well. So I will agree with Austin that I think the movie is pretty solid. It's definitely not as good as the first, but it's not like too far away. I think, in quality from the original. And I will also agree with the Keith that I actually also do think that some of the visuals here are pretty spectacular in comparison, especially when it comes to the chase scenes and that final fight with Whiplash. While it is painfully short, I do think the way the suits look and how the powers are presented is pretty damn cool. I like what you said there, because I think I think the first half of this movie are great too. I think it does fall apart in the middle of the second act, but I think it does kind of redeem itself a little bit with the Stark Expo, like I like all that stuff with Justin Hammer. I like Don Cheadle's character showing up. I, it's just when then Mickey Rourke is involved in person in the fight, I think it then kind of loses momentum there. So it seems like they really had like a solid hour and 20 minutes of a movie worked out. And then they were like, fuck, we need 40 minutes more added into this movie. And then that's when they're like, get me Samuel Jackson, get Dick Fury in here. We're going to do some filler. Yeah, maybe that would have been better towards the end of the movie if Sam Jackson came to visit him in his house kind of mess up the momentum yeah kind of along those same lines i wanted to ask you guys as well we talked about in our review of the first iron man that i mean robert downey jr killed it from the get-go playing tony stark and the side characters because of that had to play a little bit too far in the background maybe more so than we would have liked so how do you feel about this time around i mean we still get rdj killing it as tony stark but do you think that they found a good balance for the side characters do we think that I mean, our big ones like Pepper, Rhodey, and some of our new additions get enough time to develop, or are they still kind of relegated to the far background so that Tony can have center stage? I like that they gave Pepper Potts like a larger role in the mo- in this movie, but I still think it does kind of suck that Pepper and Rhodey both got relegated to like Tony's support system. Yeah, and that goes back to my other point, like where the Terrence Howard, Terrence Howard, Rhodey felt more like equal and like just like they're just buddies. And this one was more like he's like he's working for Tony in a way. That's what it felt like to me. But I think he did give a little bit more development, especially with the uh, the party scene. Yeah, I think I ultimately agree with you guys. I really like the scene where Tony realizes he's dying, I guess, and is like, I guess I'll make Pepper my CEO. She's the only person I would ever consider. And it also feels natural based on the setup from the original film. So it's not like done out of nowhere, which I think is pretty cool. So I like that. I like seeing her scenes following up where she is trying to manage this relationship, the business, and then just also her personal relationship with Tony, how that kind of his balance is pretty cool. Rhodey is weird. I think in the beginning, it's pretty cool seeing him come to the court and it's like they're clearly backing him up. And then at the birthday party, they get in a fight, which makes sense. But then Rhodey's reaction is like, Okay, I'm going to hand over the suit to the government, which I guess makes sense also. But then he goes a step further. I'm going to give the suit to Justin Hammer, which is like, that seems weird. And then he's also like, not only am I going to do that, I'm also going to be like Justin Hammer's main guy. (laughs) That's the war machine. It's like, okay, weird. That scene is weird where he's (laughs) like the prop. Yeah, that's weird that he agreed to that. Like I said, kind of, I still do get the 
working with Hammer because he's under orders. But then then he does take a step further and be like, I'm going to be your model at the Stark Expo. <laughs> That's when it's like, what are you doing, Rhodey? Are you friends yeah. with Tony or not? Yeah. And he looks so badass, but it's like, yeah, kind of lame. So... That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, what about Black Widow? Because I know, I don't know how much we're going to talk about her as this goes on, but obviously a pretty huge character in the MCU, especially going forward with Avengers and obviously well after that as well in phases two and three and even four, I guess, technically finally getting her own movie. But this is her introduction. How would you guys feel about it? I kind of made fun of it earlier with like, I don't really, I I get Black Widow's thing that she can go undercover. I guess I just didn't love that she was undercover for half the movie as like a lame secretary character that was weirdly sexualized by Tony. It seemed like that was the only purpose because Pepper already did a lot of those things. And then she's revealed to be Black Widow. But then after that, she's still being a secretary for Pepper. And then at the end of the movie, she just has lines that's like, wow, Tony, your vitals are off the chart. You seem to be doing great. Good job. It's like, okay, (laughs) cool. I honestly had forgotten she was in this movie. And I was shocked watching this, that this was Black Widow's introduction to the MCU. I'm so glad they found a way to develop and flesh out her character more in our modern films. At least they gave her a cool action scene towards the end. Yes. She does feel like a different character in this one, for sure. It doesn't really feel like the Black Widow we see in the entire. It also feels like they just don't know what to do with her either. Like, it literally just feels like Jon Favreau's like, well, she's hot, so just put her in there. (laughs) I think it would have been cool for them to introduce her in this movie, but not in that way. They should have just had her come along with Nick Fury. I mean, that's all they had to do. Just had her show up at the donut shop with him. I don't know why they had to introduce her in this weird undercover secretary thing. Yeah, so at the end, Nick Fury says, Agent Romanoff was giving you a test to be on the Avengers. So that's apparently her whole thing, was she was giving him an evaluation from afar as to whether or not Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, can be a member of the Avengers. And then the ending button to that is, Iron Man can, Tony can't. And you think it's going to be like, oh shit, what does that mean for the future? And then uh, Nick Fury just goes, yeah, so because of that, you're just going to be a consultant. And then Tony's like, well, you can't afford me. (laughs) Or sorry, sorry. (laughs) You can't afford me. I know that was so different. But then he's like, actually, I'll, uh, I'll waive my retainer. Just give me a favor. So Tony agrees to that. So so basically, Black Widow's whole role is, I'm going to give you a test, and then they just don't even acknowledge it at the end, and then they just do a joke. So it's like, why the fuck was this the introduction to this character? Uh, okay, so let's talk about Tony for a little bit. They kind of do make his character feel like a burned out rock star in this one. How do you guys feel about his character arc here, uh, with him kind of sabotaging his relationships and using his alter ego to distract from the Palladium killing him, uh, culminating in him hitting rock bottom and then having to pick himself back up and find a way to save his own life? Palladium. Bad way to die. <laughs> I like that line, though. I like that Me moment. Too. Me too. I tried every element. Well... I'm here to tell you, you haven't tried them all. And also, even though I know exactly how to save your life, I'm not going to tell you how. I'm, I'm going to send you on a goose chase. Oh, God. So bad, dude. Natasha stabs him with a little EpiPen thing. That, that'll just get rid of the symptoms. It's not a cure. Like, okay, then what's the cure? Also, Agent Coulson literally says, you leave this house, you're done. The next scene is Tony in a convertible. He doesn't even get a driver. He just leaves himself. He drives there. I did like that line, though, when Agent Coulson comes back to the house, he's like, Oh, uh, yeah, I'm here because uh, you broke perimeter. And he's like, that was like three years ago, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yeah, I got to say, guys, I'm glad we're here. This is my least favorite part of the movie. 
this weird setup to Tony having to discover a new element that I guess his dad somehow knew about but couldn't discover. And it's weirdly introduced just so he can come up with a way to replace the current element in his arc reactor, which will, I guess, not kill him. But the whole arc reactor killing him was introduced at the beginning of this movie. So it's like, okay, it's not like this was set up earlier. And then he discovers the new element. He puts it in himself and he's like, ah, coconut metal. And then guess what? It's not like there's any fucking discernible difference from Tony as a character or Iron Man's actions. It's a triangle. I know it's, it's a, a triangle. triangle. It, looks, it looks really cool. But this was like the main fucking plot of the movie. And Nick Fury's like, you have to do this, Tony. And it amounts to nothing. We get a triangle. Ugh, I hated this. I hated it. But there's a triangle in the Iron Man suit now. <laughs> wow. But yeah, he was very rock bottom-ish. He started freaking out and made Pepper his CEO. Well, let's talk about that, though, too, Keith, because like you said, Matt, the elemental stuff is so dumb. But what do you guys think about kind of the first half with him being this like burnt out rock star, uh, finding ways to kind of like set up a contingency plan for his death by appointing Pepper Potts? Like, how do you guys feel about all that stuff? I think I ultimately liked it. I liked the way they presented the scene where he's kind of being an ass and she comes down. She's trying to get clarification on the modern art and everything he's selling off, which clearly is because he's dying. So it's like, who cares? And then he just makes her kind of out of nowhere, the CEO. And it's like, okay, I guess this is just kind of a unearned moment. But then they keep going and it actually does feel earned by the end when he's kind of talking about how much he does appreciate her and how good she is at her job and what she does for Stark Industries. So it's like, oh, this is really cool. So I really like it in the beginning, like you said. It's just as it goes on, how they try and balance that is where it gets a bit muddled. So do you guys think Tony actually has a good arc in this movie or does it all feel forced to you guys? Uh, I don't think it has a good arc as far as uh, the whole Iron Man suit thing goes, but not in his personal life. I do kind of like that we see him hit rock bottom, though, being drunk in the Iron Man suit and all that. Like, I kind of like it. Feel To me, it actually did feel a little bit more natural. Not the elemental stuff, but just him. Because he, even in the first movie, he is a bit of a narcissist. So I kind of like that all of this newfound fame and like recognition for his good deeds with them saying like, peace exists for the first time or whatever like all of that i feel like kind of would go to tony stark's head so i, I kind of like that it really does feed his ego and causes him to kind of become this asshole in his personal life yeah i did like the party scenes and all that i think that was probably the best representation of it yeah yeah i i um i don't think he has any arc in this movie to be 100 honest i don't really think he changes from the beginning to the end of the movie and that's fine but um, the plot they chose here feels like it should have been more of a first movie. You could have incorporated the origin elements and then most of what we see in this movie. And that probably would have felt more natural because after the first one, it's like, I am Iron Man. And then in this one, it's just he's randomly dying out of nowhere. And now he's a drunk and he treats people like shit still, which he did in the first one, too. So it's like, OK, that's kind of messed up. And so it doesn't really feel like he's that different. It's just he creates this element and he doesn't end up dying because of that. But like I kind of already said, it's not like by the end that really changes him as a person or as a superhero. Like, in fact, in the last scene with Nick Fury, he basically just goes, well, hey, I'm uh, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to do right by Pepper and I'm trying to be better. But for us as the audience, this comes the scene after he like kisses Pepper for the first time. So it's like we have no context of what that even really means. So it's like 
Just because he made this element that saved his life, he doesn't seem any different. So that's kind of my problem, where I think they presented really interesting elements for the start of a character arc, but I don't think they paid it off at all by the end. I think you're really discrediting uh, the three points of the triangle, because what that really does <laughs> represent is Pepper Potts, Nick Fury, and the Avengers. He's trying to hit all those points in his life. What about Happy Hogan? <laughs> Happy Hogan's still hanging out in the boxing ring with Natasha. <laughs> So Happy Hogan's in a square is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, he needs, Tony's he needs to get to a triangle, but he's still in a square. Oh my goodness. So this movie does feel a bit weirdly disjointed to me, like I already mentioned. Like leading up to the birthday party aftermath, it feels like a pretty natural sequel to the first one. But then once Fury comes in and they set up this weird element storyline that goes nowhere, it feels like half of an Avengers setup movie and half of a different Iron Man movie based on the first half. So what did you guys think of that transition? Did that feel jarring to you, or did this feel like a cohesive movie from start to finish? I do love Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury, but the fact that he just shows up like an hour, 20 minutes into the movie, like out of nowhere, it does feel extremely forced. And that's where I do completely understand the criticism of this just being a setup movie. Yeah, I think it did kind of lose the momentum of it being an Iron Man movie. Um, I think they that ran, that Randy's donut scene should have been at the end of the movie. I think that would have been cool if Tony like probably wouldn't have been hungover. He which is normal Tony. And it's just an ending scene with him like hanging out at the donut shop in his Iron Man suit, and then Nick Fury shows up with Natasha, and they have like a, a good talk with him or whatever. And like you've pointed out so many times, Matt, it maybe could have felt less forced if Natasha hadn't gone back to being a secretary after this scene. Like yes. if she's just full on Black Widow from here on out, and it helps Tony like figure out all the stuff with um. Vanko and maybe make the connection to Justin Hammer like all that stuff maybe would have made it feel a little bit better but it's just weird that they have this scene and then everybody goes back to their existing roles prior to the Nick Fury scene it gives us some funny scenes which I always appreciate the fact that he gets strawberries on the way to go see her even though it is stupid that he's able to leave the house as we already set up it's like he's supposed to not be able to leave then he just gets in a car and leaves but picking up the strawberries going to the office giving it to Pepper and she's like there's one thing and the world that I'm allergic to. And he's like, see, I knew there was a connection. I knew it meant something. That's progress, Pepper. It's like, okay, man, that's Tony Stark. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. But then, yeah, Black Widow just walks in and he basically goes like, oh, you're still doing the whole secretary thing? And it's like, yeah, why? Why are you? What's happening? This is so weird. Yeah. Like, you're not testing Tony anymore because you're not watching him. If she's testing Tony, why is she with Pepper? Yes, thank you. Thank you. That's her job, apparently, is to give him a grade, and she's grading Stark Enterprises, which he's not involved with anymore. One thing that I think was kind of necessary with Nick Fury being there in the middle was the fact that he kind of told him more about his dad. And how much his dad cared about him and all that. And then he was able to Why, see the video. Why, though? Just for that <laughs> scene. It didn't serve any purpose to the plot. <laughs> if he knows about the fucking element, just tell him about the element and we can cut 30 no, minutes Austin, out of the movie. you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Tony had to solve the puzzle that his dad left him. Also, the second he puts that fucking diagram in the convertible and drives down the highway with it, the whole thing gets messed up. All those pieces blow <laughs> off the board. That should not work at all. Yeah, I was with you on that. It should have been at least, like, bungee-corded down or something. It would not survive that wind. I'm honestly starting to like this movie less now that we're talking about it. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. 
Uh, all that being said, I think all this shit is cool in a vacuum. Whenever he sees the video of his dad, who clearly he hates based on the first movie and this one, but seeing that scene where earlier he chastises a young Tony in the video, but then it cuts later on and he talks directly to Tony. It's like, I'm constrained by the technology of my time. You are my greatest creation. And RDJ's acting in that scene is great. And there's no talking, there's no improvisation, he's just reacting, and it's awesome. But it doesn't pay off by the end, unfortunately. And he creates this element, which just makes him survive, and it makes you go, are they using this element for anything else? Like, is this supposed to save the world, based on what his dad said? Because right now, it's just preventing Tony from getting poisoned. That's it. <laughs> yeah, isn't this supposed to be, like, our future cities or something Apparently. like that? <laughs> yeah, Apparently. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, the next energy source, yeah. And Tony is like, a city is cool. I'm going to put it in my chest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about the action in this one. I think we didn't get as much as the first Iron Man, but what we did get was fairly decent. I mean, one of my favorite moments was the Monaco racetrack scene. It was awesome watching Ivan destroy the cars with his little electric arm things, and then Tony putting on the briefcase suit. I think that was pretty badass. I also like seeing Tony and Rhodey joining forces at the end there to fight Hammer's drones. Um, Are you guys in agreement? Or was there anything lacking in the action here? Yeah, the Monaco scene, I think it's just a personal thing for me. But if I watch a movie and, and like something doesn't make sense, it really takes me out of it. I just could not understand how anybody let Vanko just walk through like this entire racetrack and just get on the track so easily. So that was really like kind of taking me out of it. The actual in a vacuum, him standing on the track and like slashing race cars is pretty cool. I do think the CGI looks pretty bad in that scene. But dude, the scene with... Tony and Rhodey teaming up and fighting those drones. That is one of my favorite scenes in this film. And I think it's so fun finally, finally seeing War Machine and Iron Man working together. And just the fact that they have like so many combatants to like take out and fight together, I think makes like, like all that choreography and them using the weapons and figuring out how to work together, I think is so fun. Yeah. Um, I think the CGI is pretty damn good in this movie. I think even in scenes that I don't like, like the Monaco stuff, it looks pretty cool. It does always beg the question, so why is he slashing cars of people that aren't Tony Stark? Is he just willing to kill random people? I guess so. And just kind of have to move on and just accept it or else it's stupid. But yeah, I mean, the chase scene in the third act as well, whenever they're flying around trying to get rid of the hammer drones was awesome. So cool. And I'm, I'm kind of with Keith. I think I would actually go as far to say I think the best the suits ever look in the entire franchise, the MCU, even movies that came out within the last couple of years, the best the suits have ever looked Iron Man wise is that final scene in the Botanical Gardens. And part of it is because they are, a, there's a lot of the helmets that are practical and stuff. So I got, man, dude, whenever they're like, that's the kill box, Tony. And then that, like, that scene where it kind of like the camera, like, rotates around them. The suits look so fucking good. And then whenever the masks flip down, it's like, it looks real as opposed to later yeah. on when it just looks fully CG, which is fine. I'm, I'm okay with it looking that way. But here it looks real, which I just kind of appreciate. It's like a different type of thing. So the action is even cooler in those scenes for me. I do I do agree. I, I really like the fact that the suit like kind of looks solid in this one, whereas with the CGI, it, look kind, it kind of looks more synth- synthetic. Yeah. Um, I do think in the later movies, they've found cooler ways to like make the suit setup process work, like him actually suiting up. I, I think they've had some really cool scenes with that. 
Um, but, but you called out the kill box scene that I love that scene of him and Rhodey strategizing together. And like, they're both kind of thinking they're the bigger gun, but Rhodey kind of has the military mind. So he know he knows what a kill box is. Whereas Tony wouldn't like, I, I like that stuff and then figuring out how to work together for the first time in combat. Yeah. The only thing that kind of sucks about it is I feel like both that scene, the kill box scene and the final fight with Vonko should have been longer. Like, it's almost like they're short to play up a joke, which is unfortunate. Like, that scene, once the helmets flip down, all the drones come in and they start fighting, is so fucking badass. How Iron Man moves, how War Machine moves, how how they move differently and then also similarly at times. It's so cool. And then Tony, like, about maybe conservatively 15 seconds in goes, Rhodey, duck! And then just a move that, like, kills all of them. And it's like... I mean, that looked cool, but I would have liked to see more of the actual fight. And then Vonko lands in a suit, which is like, oh, and then he has really cool looking whips. And then he immediately captures both of them. And then they immediately just do, Rhodey, put your hand up. And so the fight's over over the course of like 10 seconds. It's like the action was so good when it was there. I just really wish we could have gotten longer scenes of it because I feel like they kind of cheaped out some of these for jokes. Ivan Vanko building a second suit feels completely un- completely pointless. The thing that I think is the weirdest thing about this decision is it's pretty much the exact same thing as the first movie. Like, the big bad guy shows up in a suit, and he gets killed with a big explosion. Like, it's it's literally the same thing. Like, it's it's exactly the same thing. Tony Stark has to figure out how to blow something up to defeat the big boss. Yeah, I think it would have been cooler just fighting the drones. I don't think he needed to have his own suit, because it never even showed him making his own suit. He was against making the suits where actual humans go into. He was all about the drones. So <laughs> that's such a good point. And I kind of, I kind of like him like on the keyboard from afar. Like I, I think it would have been better if he had just kind of like slinked away after they defeated all the drones. Yeah, or gets, or gets like captured and imprisoned or something like that would have been better. Yeah, it was so good before that. I mean, how how striking was that scene where he like escapes hammers like weird. Um, like detention facility and then you see him talking with Tony on the phone and then it cuts to Vonko's perspective and the two guards that were trying to keep him in check are hanged behind him and you see blood he's covered in blood and all over the phone he's calling on it's like oh my god like we didn't even see him fight those guys it's just we believe that he's able to do that and how cool is this scene and then it just ends, like you said, Keith, he, for some reason, and at some point in the movie, made a suit for himself, even though the entire movie, he was like, drones are the way to go. And it's like, okay, so now he's 100% less cool and he's going against his own fucking motive. So now it's just fully stupid, unfortunately. Let's dive into Vanko a little bit further now. I still do kind of think Mickey Rourke is our best villain so far in this MCU journey. I think they do do a better job of establishing his motivations and giving us background on Vanko and his family history with the Starks than the kind of what they did with Obadiah. How do you guys feel about the Vanko character overall, and how does he stack up for you two against Obadiah and Abomination? Going back to the thing we've always said about Obadiah, he's Jeff Bridges is awesome as him up until he makes his own suit. Overall, I think Vanko has a better character arc than Obadiah. The biggest thing for me with Vanko is I understand his motivations, whereas I had no clue why Obadiah was doing what he was doing. And then Abomination for me is just a big CGI villain for the Hulk to punch in the face a few times. So he doesn't really work for me either, as we talked about previously. It's tough because I think they do an okay job of establishing that, like, look, in Vanko's culture, if you mess with a member of the family, then you know, he'll mess with you. So it's like Tony didn't do anything to him, but because 
Howard Stark messed with Anton Vonko. That means Ivan Vonko has to kill Tony Stark. It's kind of stupid, but I guess they did a good enough job of setting up why he's doing that, like just for the whole sins of the father thing. I don't think that's only it, though. I, I think at the same time, Vonko also sees it as the Starks are what he could have been. Like Tony's what he could have been if his father had been recognized for his achievements. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that's, yeah, that's a fair point. So yeah, they did a good enough job setting that up. I just ultimately think that Obadiah is such a bad villain and it sucks because Jeff Bridges is so good and it makes so much sense for so long and that it makes no sense by the end. So if I had to rank these villains that you just laid out for us, Austin, I would put Obadiah at the bottom for that weird turn where it turned out that he was trying to kill Tony for years, apparently. And it's like, oh, okay. I didn't know that. (laughs) Obadiah also must be extremely smart because he figured out how to control that suit way faster than Tony did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Same with Rhodey in this movie. He just like knew immediately. <laughs> but yeah, here I would put Vonko at number two just because I feel like I, I didn't really understand the whole family motivation side of it, but I thought Mickey Rourke gave a great performance and, sell- and sold it enough. And I know it might be a hot take. I know you guys probably don't agree, but... I know it's simple motivations, I gotta say, but I really love Tim Roth and Incredible Hulk. This is not me doing a bit. I'm not trying to play this up. I just genuinely really like the whole, like, if I had the body of mine 10 years younger with the mind I have now, it could be really cool. And then Ross trying to whole, like, turn the whole Super Soldier Serum pr- like project over on him, injecting him, and then it doesn't go well. And then he just gets more effed up as the movie goes on and turns into Abomination. Yeah, the CG stuff by the end isn't great, but guess what? Neither is Obadiah or Vonko in his suit at the end. So I can pass it. I kind of like Tim Roth. I'd put him at number one. But Vonko gets two. Well, guys, do you know what time it is? What time is what it? What time is it? It's Hammer time, my friends. Oh, Let's talk about shit. Justin Hammer. Oh, wow. We haven't given him his due yet. How do we feel about Sam Rockwell? How is Justin Hammer? Do we like the team up with Bonko? I freaking loved it. That's I think it's one of my favorite parts of this movie is Justin Hammer just talking to Ivan. And he's always just kind of passive aggressive with everything he says. He never he only yells him at that one time and then all the other times yeah. he's just kinda being kind of condescending towards him. It's hilarious. It's like, oh, I took away all your shit. Like, doesn't feel good, does it? <laughs> you know, Do you like, like that? that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny. Just that dynamic of of this big, burly Russian dude sitting down with this, like, Silicon Valley-looking nerd. Yeah, I think Justin Hammer actually might be my number one villain overall so far, just because it, I wish there was more to it. I feel like Justin Hammer, the problem is I feel like this guy could have been a villain on his own. It's just that they were like, well, we have to have a guy that can fight Tony at the end. Whereas I actually really liked how Justin Hammer was this guy that was clearly trying to be the next Tony Stark, but clearly isn't as smart or as innovative. So he's kind of relegated to just the government lackey in a sense to make them shit that they kind of use, but it's never as good as Tony's stuff. And I really like that setup and how they ended that court scene with Tony, like you said, hijacking the phone and showing that Hammer was responsible for that was so good. And as the movie goes on, you kind of get why he would latch onto somebody like Vonko. So it's a pretty decent motivation. And like you said, Keith, I mean, that Sam Rockwell improvisation, the way he just interacts with people, including Ivan, including Anthony, uh, it's just, it's so funny. It's so good. And by the end, watching him dance on to the stage of the Stark Expo, it's like, you know what? I wish there was more to this character, but what they gave us 
pretty damn perfect. I loved it. All right, guys. Well, before we wrap up here, let's talk about some ending scenes, some post-credit scenes with Agent Coulson. He and let's talk about the scene real quick with him coming into Tony's lab and and him kind of saying he's reassigned to a different project. And then we get the post-credit scene with him finding Thor's hammer. What'd you guys think about all this? I'll tell you what I thought, Keith. I thought this was a hundred percent fine. Big old fine. Who cares? It was fine. I'm not going to complain about it. What am I going to do? Complain? No, sir. No, ma'am. It was fine. I mean, (laughs) him showing up is kind of weird because we get Nick Fury and Black Widow. It's like, holy shit, those are huge characters. And then Nick Fury just goes, hey, remember Agent Coulson from last movie? And even Tony's like, oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? And then they kind of reintroduce him. But then it's like they could have had some really cool scenes where he's like kind of babysitting him. But then they don't really do that. Like Tony trying to sneak out would have made (laughs) sense. Yeah, that would have been actually cool. Whereas he basically doesn't watch him. And then he like the next scene, he just says bye to Tony. I got to go to the post credit scene, Tony. I'm sorry. And then Tony's like, well, is the post credit about me in Iron Man 3? And he's like, no, Tony, sorry. Have you ever heard of Mjolnir? And he's like, what? No. And he's like talk to you later tony see you in avengers and then he just like goes off so yeah i mean i thought the scenes were pretty fucking dumb but the post credit i gotta say even at the time in theaters it was a different time in the mcu guys i mean like comic book fans like i feel like we're not fully going out to some of these movies like these were made for casual audiences and they were really fun. But as someone like me that had read Thor comic books prior and had played a lot of video games that featured Thor and stuff like that, I, it's some, I guess I was too young. Because I did not... Because at this time, we were a year away from the Thor movie. So they were clearly making it already. I just had not heard about it. And whenever he's like, Fury, we've got it. And then it shows Thor's hammer. And then it cuts to the lightning strike. I, like in the theater, screamed. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I had no idea they were setting that up. And it was like one of the craziest things I'd ever seen. (laughs) I was so hyped for it. The MCU post-credit scenes are always great. They always get you so excited for the next film. It's always worth sitting through the credits. Um, Of course, now that we're at home on Disney+, Plus, it's worth fast-forwarding through the credits. Uh, But when you're in the theaters, it's always worth waiting for. It's one of my favorite things about seeing an MCU movie in theaters. It's also worth mentioning because we've we've kind of talked about it with both the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 1, but sitting here today in 2021 and, and looking back at, at these movies now that we kind of know how the MCU plays out, how did Iron Man 2 feel for you guys? Did it still feel like it fits into the MCU or, or did it feel a little bit outdated? No, I think it definitely still fits for me in every way. And I we talked about it with the blending of Nick Fury and Natasha coming in. And yeah, they could have done that a little better, but the fact that it was in there did make it feel like an MCU movie to me. Yeah, I think this is a really good question, Austin, because one of the other complaints both critics and fans had at the time was this movie weirdly feels like it's just trying to set up for the Avengers and future stuff. Like, what's the purpose of this movie? And at the time, I could definitely agree with parts of that whenever I saw it in theaters. But now watching it back, I got to say, maybe it's because we've gotten so much since then. But it does kind of fit pretty naturally into the MCU as a whole. Knowing where Tony's character goes, it kind of makes sense seeing a lot of what he's going through here. I I personally wish they had leaned more into the alcoholism as opposed to the whole palladium 
bullshit they introduced in this movie that was poisoning him, which again, like I said like a couple times, they didn't really pay off in any way. It seemed like the alcoholism was the way they were trying to go, and maybe Disney or Paramount was like, no, eh, we can't do that. Well, they actually, they wanted to do the Devil in the Bottle story from the comics, which I'm not too familiar with. Yeah, like his most famous one. They felt mainstream audiences wouldn't really be too interested in an alcoholism story, so they just kind of tried to take some of those elements and bring it into this film. Yeah, that's a shame. I feel like they would now. Maybe at the time... Possibly not, but certainly I think character or people, sorry, would be really interested in seeing Tony Stark going through those demons. Anyway, regardless, I think my point being the movie fits pretty naturally in with the introduction of War Machine. Black Widow, I hate the intro, but by the end, it's like, okay, whatever. Nick Fury setting up for the Avengers. So now that we've seen the Avengers and can look back retroactively, this movie doesn't feel as egregious as it did at the time. So that's, I guess, one positive I can give for it. I think it definitely still feels like it's part of the MCU. It is kind of so weird, though, to like look back on these characters now and see like how sleazy Tony originally was, like how creepy he was, like the sexual harassment stuff that we talked about, and then also just like how much of an object some of the female characters used to be in the MCU. So I, I really am glad that we've changed from like that dynamic into our modern movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, still having Nick Fury appear in a movie, Black Widow, like all that's still so cool to see. And it is kind of, you can still see kind of the threads in the early formations of the MCU formula in this one too. All right, guys. So I do want to know though, now that we have seen three MCU phase one films, how are we going to do our rankings? Which of these films was your favorite and which of these films has been your least favorite? For me, number one is Iron Man. Number two, Iron Man 2. And number three, The Incredible Hulk. I got to echo Keith. I just got to go exactly with what he said. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and The Incredible Hulk. I'm only going to slightly differ from you there. I'm going to go number three, Iron Man 2. Number two, what am I going to do? I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous right now. What's it going to be? Um, I want to say Iron Man. I really do. I think Incredible Hulk's better. Oh my god. I'm going to say it is. I think it genuinely is. I'm going to say Incredible Hulk's number two and Iron Man's number one. I don't feel great about it, but I'm going to sandwich Incredible Hulk in between Iron Man and Iron Man 2. There's just too many dumb stuff going on, I feel like, in this movie for me to give it any higher. That being said, though, it's not as bad as I remember, so I can definitely say that. The Incredible Hulk is certainly worse than I remember, but hey, we <laughs> talked about that on that episode, so be sure to check that out to hear my thoughts. And of course, my friends, before we get out of here today, we do need to give out some of our Arnie's Podcast Awards. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith, always start us off. Keith, take it away. All right. I'm going to give the Best Toe Fungus Award to Mr. Mickey, Mickey Rourke. When that dude takes off his shoes, he has some nasty-looking feet. Wow. Well, I'm I'm happy for Mickey Rourke's feet. I'm glad they got the recognition they deserve on this on this show. As for me, I'm gonna give the ultimate beer pong partner to Jarvis and the and the Mark II suit. I couldn't imagine having them on my team playing some beer pong. I think they would nail the cup every time. For my award, I'm gonna give something that I feel very passionate about because I personally, it might be a. Maybe I'm being too egregious here. I think I'm a pretty damn good driver, if I do say so myself. But um, there's somebody that I have to call out for being a really bad driver, and they're getting my award today for the... I guess I won't even say worst driving. I think I'm just going to say the laziest driving. And that goes to Mr. John Favreau as Happy Hogan. <laughs> Once he... And like, don't get me wrong. Once he runs over Whiplash, it's like, okay, okay, good job. 
and then he keeps doing it. And it's like, oh, okay, good job. And then he keeps doing it. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. Leave. Pepper's in the back. She almost got decapitated by the whip because he won't leave. And Tony even doesn't care either. He just keeps trying to open the door to get the briefcase and then lets it close and doesn't seem to care. So that stood out to me, John Favreau. You got to be a better driver than that. That was just lazy work. I'm sorry. All right, everybody. Well, I think that is going to do it for us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. The MCU series will continue in two weeks with Thor, and next week we will be taking a much-needed break from both the MCU and the DCEU in favor for the monster universe from Warner Bros. with its new release, Godzilla vs. Kong. Will there be a Dawn of Justice attached? Who's to say? Also, we have our Snyder Cut episode out. Like Austin mentioned, we'll be back in a couple weeks with Thor. I gotta say, I think Iron Man 2 overall, it seemed to be liked it a bit better than we remember, so hopefully the same goes with Thor. Austin and I have a new episode of Co-op Couch coming out this Thursday, which breaks down all the gaming news for March and our favorite video game characters of all time as well. Gotta let you guys know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, if you guys aren't tired of our MCU content, we are breaking down each and every episode of this show. They come out every Friday, which means you can catch us talking about it the following Sunday. And check us out on Instagram at the Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. Please go back and catch up on Falcon and Winter Soldier and the uh, Snyder Cut of Justice League. And please catch up on this series. So go back and watch Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. And then look forward to Thor coming up. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we will talk to you soon. I want my bark. <laughs>